I wasn't recording. <laughs> so fail. <laughs> this right. is a very Glad good that you caught right? me now. So oh my good. god. Okay. Yeah. All right. Hey. You you did really well that time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to try to do better. Okay, good. Good. All right. Here we go. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. Two quick sponsor mentions at the top of the show here. One, Environments for Humans. You know them. A longtime sponsor of Shop Talk Show. They're going to do their in-control, in-person conference in Orlando, Florida, coming this February. Check that out at 2013.incontrolconference.com. And welcome back, lynda.com. They do training videos, learning videos on all kinds of topics from web design, but it transcends web design, all kinds of other stuff, motion graphics and and Photoshop and graphic design skills and stuff. Check them out at lynda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash shop talk. Uh, yeah, and we'll tell you a little bit more about that in a special deal later in the show. But for now, let's kick things off. Welcome to the Shop Talk Show, a podcast all about front-end web design development stuff around that area of the internet. I'm a sickly Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer. Oh, Dave's got travelitis. Travelitis. Too many plane trips for this really, uh... Just down-home Texas boy. Can't handle it. Well, I think the problem is I work from home, so I have zero antibodies of any kind, so it's like science. Anytime I go out in public, I just get waylaid by any sort of virus in the air. So, oh well, I'm here, and I'm going to try to indoor kids. Yeah, it's rough. So we have this is one of our favorite, if not our very favorite type of shop talk show episode, a crossover show, kind of like when the people from CSI show up on Criminal Minds or whatever. I don't know if that's ever happened, but it'd be awesome if it did. Ah, we have Jen Simmons here. Hi, Jen. Oh, hello. Thanks. For <laughs> Jen Simmons Bless does it. the web ahead on the Five by Five Network. Five by Five TV slash. Is it the web ahead or web ahead? Web ahead on that URL. Yeah. Five by Five TV slash web ahead. Long time, excellent podcast about the web. I am a listener. They also the Environments for Human sponsors them too. That's how you know they're cool. They sponsor all the good web shows. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on. It's, yeah. it's, I think this is the first time I've been on a non-five by five podcast. Oh, ever, actually, are you like, are you like, kind of appalled by the, by how unprofessional it is? No, <laughs> <laughs> you're just cruising the indie circuit now. All, all the mistakes I've witnessed you made already today, I've I've made myself more than once. So <laughs> I have no no judgment. Like, oh, that's familiar. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and you're kind of doing a series right now on the web ahead called the web behind, right? Where instead of like talking about the future all the time, you're going to, you're kind of going back in time with Eric Meyer and having guests on that are related to that. Do you want to tell us? Yeah, it's been, it's been cool. Eric, um, Eric was on the show. I had him come on to do a show about CSS. I like to pick, uh, I pick a topic each week 
and then focus the whole show around that one topic. So like we did a whole show on um, web audio API, like what the heck is that? Especially for people who are not developers and maybe have never heard of it. I got to listen to that one. That's the one that's like, it's not HTML5 audio, right? It's like this whole other API. It's a whole other API. Like there's the audio element and then there's... Which you can also control with JavaScript further out. Right. Yeah. But this is a different thing. with Yeah. And this is, that's like MIDI. Hey, you want to use MIDI on your website? Here, here's the API. Or Mm -hmm. um, especially if you want to trigger sounds at a very precise moment, then you want to be using Web Audio API and not Audio Element. Or, yeah, like if you have a video game, you have little cues that you need to go off for you. Yeah. But so, so every week I pick a different kind of topic and do a show around that topic. And eventually I'll get to all the APIs, the new APIs and the HTML5 spec and the ones, you know, sort of surrounding the HTML5 spec. But Eric came on the show and he was on, we did like two hours on CSS and we talked a lot about the past and about the history and where it came from and why it's cool and why it's good and, um, I think a lot about business people, you know, who are make, making a lot of decisions around websites and what the product, what the end product's going to be. And I, I want them to understand the technology so that they can really make great decisions about the product. And um, so anyway, so Eric was on and it was like, well, you know, for people who don't actually even really understand how CSS, what it is, what is it? Um, and from that, you know, Eric shared that he really is interested in the history of the web and understanding where things have come from and documenting everything while people still remember, um, while people are still around. Uh, so he, we talked later and it was like, Hey, let's, well, let's do this as part of a, a, a series inside the series to have people come on and give more context around, uh, you know, oh, we talk about web standards and why they're awesome. Well, you know, not everybody was around before web standards were the thing. And so not everybody realizes how painful it was. Let's just stop and remember that and talk about that or talk about uh, where this technology came from in the first place. So. It's noble work, really. I'm glad that you guys got it together. I think it might be, it might have been harder to do something like that. It's like, let's make a documentary or let's make a book or something. And that's kind of like, I don't know. It's harder to do. It's a little easier to like just schedule somebody up and 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 just talk about it and record it. Yeah, and I think this all the recordings are the kind of thing that are source material for that can be source material for something else. Yeah, later. yeah, yeah. So you know, you could, all the recordings could be cut into something much or more succinct, or somebody could, um, you know. And Eric talked about it. I think on the episode he was on that he's thought about writing a book. So maybe he will at some point. I, I would find that fascinating. I, I feel like we talked about this very thing on the shop talk show almost the same week that you had Eric Meyer on and totally independently, you guys were just like kind of hatched this plan for the web behind. And, uh, I, I think it's awesome. I think it's needed for, I don't know. You should be getting like a Pell grant or something. (laughs) (laughs) I agree. This thing is at risk for losing some history along the way here. So I'm glad that that's not going to happen. Uh, cause I feel like the people that, that know all this stuff, are often, I don't know, they're, these are busy people, you know, they don't necessarily have time to sit and write about the history of it. And that would be, it would just be a bummer to lose the history of the web, even though it's so in the recent past compared to anything. I'm sure you've gone over yeah. this in your head a million times of why it's a worthy effort, but it's cool. And, and you do it on a show that's named about the future, but I, it's just well-named. The web behind, good stuff. Yeah, thanks. 
So the, the we have some hot drama this week. Not a lot of web hot drama, although I guess you could say that it's that it's related to the web. <laughs> <laughs> the hot drama, the big one was Instagram, and they changed their policy, and they said something in their terms of service that you are forced to agree to or delete your account that was basically like, we can use your images with or without credit and your likeness and stuff for advertising for ourselves. People interpreted it as we can sell your photos for profit, which it wasn't. But uh, but it was still a weird invasion of privacy. Like we can just use your stuff and and, and we're going to start advertising to you and your photos might even be in those advertisements. And I don't know. I, People got the, mad. The way I read it, I, I went through and read the terms of service and it, it does sound like they could sublicense your photos without paying you. It, yeah. it was very like explicit. Like, yeah, they, uh, it seems like they've tried to backpedal and be like, "Well, people were confused and they misunderstood," and they, yeah, and that's not what happened. The the, the language was, was actually really well written. It was very very clear, very human readable language around exactly how they were going to use your photographs to create advertisers and even license them, sell them to third parties. Hmm. I mean, but, I, but then all the news articles came out that says no, they can't sell your photos. But is that so? Yeah, that, maybe not sell. Maybe that's the wrong. I don't. You know, I yeah, I didn't study it that hard. But but that's maybe it. Is they can't sell your photos, but boy, they can sublicense them or something. <laughs> whatever, whatever that difference is. But I don't know. I I just I don't think personally you hire lawyers, you know, and make oopsies mistakes on these terms of service. You know, it's not like. Dave Rupert, office worker, is typing out your legal agreements. These are well. They made a big deal about it. If you went to your, if you went to Instagram and you went under the recent, you know, the recent activity thing, which I use all the time, which I think is a popular tab. There was a big banner right at the top of the app that was like, "We're changing this. Please read it." So this wasn't like some nerd uncovered this subtle change in their thing. It was like they were throwing it at us. Yeah, I, I wonder if it was a, a big backfire. So, yeah, I think that's what it seems like. I mean, it seems like they thought, well, we need to monetize, so we let's do ads, and people ignore ads. So, how can we make that not happen? Oh, well, if we use images of from users in the ads, the ads will be more interesting to users and better. So, let's do that. Yeah. Oh, we need permission. Okay, we'll tell everybody ahead of time, and then we'll do it. Yeah. And when everybody was like, whoa, you can't use my images in an ad without explicit permission, without paying me something more, um, then, you know, now they have to backpedal. And, but it, it seems like in some ways Instagram just really, this is this might be it for them. They may have just. Really? You think that the, that the, the comments about it being a suicide note have some weight? Yeah, the I mean. Right. So on Twitter, I've got a follow a lot of people who are in the tech industry. A lot of people have a very sophisticated understanding of all this stuff and watch it all the time. A big part of the culture, early adopters. And everybody was like, no. And then over on Facebook is typically the people I follow on Facebook or people I've known in real life. So not early adopters, not technically savvy. Usually they have no idea kind of what's going on in the tech world or in with technology, the way it's changing our culture. And, uh, they also immediately were like, Instagram, what? No. 
<laughs> so I thought, wow, if both kind of worlds are everybody's, um, and so on Twitter, everyone was like, well, we're switching to Flickr. That's it. You know, Flickr just came out with this new app. It's awesome. Flickr does everything I want. Now that, um, we think Yahoo's not going to die, then, okay, we're going back over there. Um, and on Facebook, mm-hmm. everybody was like, what are you going to do? I don't know. What are you going to do? So I was like, uh, go check out Flickr. So I, I have a feeling a lot of people will switch. A lot of people yeah. maybe didn't want to believe it, and now with the backpedaling, they'll go, okay, good. I'll just stick with Instagram. But I think a lot of people have already dumped Instagram, already deleted their accounts, already said, well, okay, I see the backpedal now, but I don't know where this company might be going in the future because they're doing the things that we see so many companies do when they don't have a healthy business model to start with. They're not charging users. They need to go to advertising. They got bought out by Facebook. Like, it's just, it's classic. It's so classic. So... It just it feels like that. You know, it does yeah, seem you, like the exodus is pretty real. Yeah, and you can stick around for a while more if you want to. Maybe it won't be as bad as we think. But a lot of people are like, I'm not even going to stick around for a while. I'm just going to go to Flickr. I think it's so strange. It, I like. I can't. I just can't wrap my head around it entirely. They're like, we're mad at them for not having a good business model. And then is if they start to make moves to have a better business model, we're like, oh, screw you. Does that seem weird? Exactly, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> We're mad about how their business model is. What if they start started saying, okay, here's here's five new super rad filters, and those are 99 cents each. Or if you want to do video on your account, that's Instagram Pro, and that's a monthly fee or something like that. Would, would yeah, that we're going to launch – we're going to launch a web, an album interface that you can go log into the website and check out all the photos and organize them into albums. And that's going to cost you $10 a year. People, sure. I think people would love that. I think they'd We'd be like, be awesome. With that. Or we have some, yeah. some big, some super cool API that we charge people to use the API instead or something smarter than we're going to sell ads with your, like that. It's just their approach was gross. Yeah. We're going to take all the photos that you've uploaded to our service for however long, including, you know, photos of your kids or things that you cherish and we're going to turn them into commercials and oh by the way we're not going to tell you you might not even know it and we're not going to ask you permission or pay you like who wants that nobody wants that yeah i could that's it, it, i'm glad that you brought that angle up to it though because it, it's easy to have an opinion when you're me who's just like single dude who takes selfies of me eating sandwiches and i'm like i don't care if you use that in an ad i'm not a photographer which is like probably a vast majority of people on it but i could see that being weird if i had a kid and they're, they're they're swinging on a swing and it's this like family photo of me like it's better as heck not end up on a <laughs> a magazine like ad a or subway something. ad for subway sandwiches <laughs> or what if you go somewhere you know you go to some big chain restaurant or some famous destination place and you're having a good time with your friends or your family and you took some pictures and you put them on instagram because that's the way you like to share photos with your friends and then next thing you know you know there's a disney world ad on facebook and the sidebar and it's got you going to disney world or you going to you know you're at whatever. Like, why am I not rich now? I thought that means rich. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, people are paid, for, especially if somebody who's known, people are paid for their endorsements, their 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 physical likeness, their whatever, either as a model or as a celebrity. Or as a, you, know, you can't just take someone's image and apply it to your company and imply an endorsement without some sort of a permission. Yeah. Indeed. No. This I'm whole mad. thing is inspired. I'm madder now than I was. <laughs> this whole thing has inspired me to start a vintage car garage where I 
let people store their vintage cars in my big garage that's infinity big. And then I say, surprise, I own all your cars. <laughs> well, terms of service switcheroo. <laughs> right. After you've parked your car here. Yeah. While you were walking around, I like changed the terms of service. Surprise. <sighs> well, that was Next. good. That was good. Next. So uh, you got a note here on animation performance. This comes from CSSTricks.com. Oh, I just put this there because I published it last night, and I and I think it's pretty interesting stuff that's worth talking about. In that, I got a tweet from Hugo, one of our. He's like a good user on CodePen and just kind of a nice guy. Who's like, what you know, if you're going to animate something with CSS animations or transitions, and 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 you just want to move it around the screen, like the goal is moving it, that you have a couple of options. One is that it could have position relative or absolute or fixed and then you could use top left bottom right to nudge it around move it around or you can use css3 in the translate properties translate x and translate y and you can move it around with that those are the two options for moving things around and what what's better since they do the exact same thing kind of uh, and I wrote a, a article that says one they're not exactly the same thing and I, I think you should not confuse what is essentially positioning with using translate is more for like design motion. Like if you're just going to nudge something a little bit because it's part of the design of that element, like a button that nudges down when you push it, that that's more built for translate, but you might want to also position that button with absolute positioning somewhere on the page. And that, in that those two issues, that's kind of why they're different. But then I, you know, I was kind of I'm friends with Paul Irish and uh, uh, we were I brought it to him to be like, can we think about this from a performance perspective as well? And he ended up kind of talking to just about everybody on the Chrome team about this, about performance related to it and how it all works. And he actually uncovered some pretty interesting things. The, the you know, kind of the generic performance advice is usually, of course, using transforms is more performant. It uses the GPU or whatever. That's kind of like what people are, I don't know, that's like the household advice for that kind of thing. And that turns out to be true, uh, but it goes a little bit deeper than that. So let's say you have a button and you're going to animate it over three seconds, three pixels down. If you use animate top... Um, it will move it one pixel the first second. It will move it two pixels the second and uh, three pixels the third second. So it just goes, uh, uh, uh. But if you use translate, at least in Chrome and in modern WebKit, it does the sub-pixel animation thing where it kind of like blurs the pixels between and it ends up being this smoother motion. So it does the sub-pixel rendering stuff. So it's not just like, eh, 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 it's like, morphs it. So, so, so uh, you get like a, a tween versus like a, a pixel checkpoint or something. Sure. Yep, yep. Cool. Anyway, I was, it was worth mentioning on the show because there's a, we kind of did cross-posts today on it. And I think that's important for people to know that it's just a, it is just better to use Translate if you can when you're doing any sort of animation. Better performance, better look, better everything. That's cool. I guess that that makes sense because, I mean, position is CSS one or two or whatever. And, you know, if you're doing animations, you might as well stay in the animation CSS three transition animation side of things. Might as well. And it'll work better, it sounds like. 
So, indeed, cool. Notes in lieu of any other interesting links, is a little off my game this week. Uh, we we have Q and A, so I kind of pick questions here that that hopefully that we we all three of us have things to say about. So. Uh, uh, let's just get into Q and A, huh? Or do you have any? Do we have anything no, else this to mention? Good. This is. Do you it. have any good plugs, Jen? Uh, I don't know. Just like listen to my plugs. show. <laughs> yeah, we were just talking before I came on that you just had Tantech on, which that should be a good episode. Web behind related about. I don't know how you know he was like part of the team when doc types were invented and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that just pushed this morning, actually, that episode, episode 46. People were pretty excited about Andy Clark. He was on last week, episode 45. We had a follow-up to your show on our show last week. We are like, oh, do you hear what they talked about on Web Ahead? Oh, dang, and we talked about it like the whole time. Uh, I did not listen to it yet. I have to go find it. uh, Andy's kind of view on conference organizing. um, Yeah. Just the hot drama around, you only pick celebrities, blah. And uh, which is maybe a valid opinion, but at the same time, I thought you guys addressed it really well. So. We just readdressed what you addressed, essentially. Yeah, that's cool. Um, yeah, I also liked your your kind of uh, notes uh, on criticism and how how you take criticism, just how people freely offer criticism. They're just they just vomit out these like harsh <laughs> things, you know. And I totally relate. With with what you were saying, just some days you're just like, oh well, that's nothing. Or some days you're just like, dude, this is rough. I don't want to go to work or record a podcast today because some jerk out there. So yeah, yeah, it's funny because I understand somebody tossing a quick tweet, just being like, Bleh. but I don't understand someone taking you know an hour to write a very long, well crafted email analyzing. <laughs> <laughs> like wow you really hate me <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, wow. yeah. 1000 yeah. words huh i mean maybe maybe they don't take an hour but it's it's the kind of thing that i would take an hour to write yeah um yeah they must be personally invested That's- well i get some good ones i i wish i had an anonymous blog where i'd post them anonymously too that just just hate mail <laughs> it's unbelievable i got one that was really i'm really bad at it's and it's you know, and I know in my head the difference. I know what the rule is. Like mm-hmm. it's in my brain, but I still suck at it when I type blog posts. And man, did I get one the other day that was like eight paragraphs, really detailing every grammar on like how it works. I'm just like, I don't, I don't know. And not not one link to where somewhere that I could actually fix. Oh. <laughs> nice. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. All right, Q and A. All right, we'll move into the meat and taters here. Uh, Brian Buffin wrote in and said, "I come from a graphic design background, I, so I usually focus on how my CSS looks visually rather than how clean, quote unquote, the code is. Are there any books, writings, teachings that can help an artsy fartsy guy like me get a grip on semantics and writing solid code?" Jen, are, do you come from a design background, or are you more code? I'm really both, which uh, used to seem really normal and now increasingly seems very weird. But uh, I – and not just from the web. Like before the web, I was doing theater originally and I was doing – yeah, so I was designing, designing lighting, designing sets, designing um, later projections and then building them. 
And sometimes, you know, you're working in a situation where you're lucky enough to just be the designer and then there's a crew to build it or to just be on a crew and there's somebody else designing it and they're really awesome. But usually a lot of the work that I did, I was, I, I kind of went back and forth a lot. So I'd be on the crew of a big theater working with an awesome designer and then I'd be designing on a small theater and then also doing a lot of the work to build it because we didn't have big crews. Um, and it was, it's like technical stuff like, Oh, 120 volt AC electricity. Okay. I've got, you know, I got 20 amps and four instruments at 500 watts each. Like, like you had to know how to do the math <laughs> or things would literally, uh, you'd have tiny explosions and things would break. Um, but it was an art, you know, it's all an art. So that's what I love about the web is it's the same kind of thing. It's both. It's like, Oh, I learned some CSS. Oh, and I, you know, make something pretty. And, oh, I did something very practical with the CSS. Like this layout is very, um, there's a purpose that, you know, it's functional. The layout is now functional. And then, oh, yeah, I need to write better code so that this functions better. It runs more performance, performative kind of. So, oh, yeah. I, for, I was just going to say, I love the analogy of something physical, like building a set. Like it's a piece of art. It's, you know plays a big part in the mood and, and everything, but you have these technical limitations and these, you know, you ultimately care how well it's built, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, people coming out of art school today, sometimes I meet people who have this idea of like, I'm an artist. I want to make art. I want to be pure. So therefore I don't want to get all mucky with that code stuff or with those technical limitations or don't tell me, I don't want to know. I've met web designers who are like, I don't want to know what is and is not possible with CSS because I just want to design in this pure sense. And then you all, you developers will have to implement my designs, uh, you know, no matter what, just come up with a way to, and there's a slice of that that I think is good to say, Hey, you know, maybe we're making assumptions about what's possible because we got stuck in these ruts and maybe we can come up with some brand new ideas that are really amazing and then we'll figure out how to make it work with the CSS. But part of it is like, no, 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 no. Only in the 20, late 20, if early 21st century does this, I did this idea emerge where the artist is some sort of important auteur with this amazing idea and they are in this pure space where they don't have to actually do anything. They just, imagine the thing and then they have i mean you see it in the visual art world where it's crazy but you know people who don't know anything about stone would like come up with a sculpture and then they hire you know sculptors to actually build their art for them and that it would, that would just always make me mad like that how no it's <laughs> you know if you look back before that kind of modern art idea um people it was always about craftsmanship, art and craftsmanship. And you, if you were a great marble sculptor, you knew how to chip marble and you knew how to, that's part of what those old ancient marble sculptures are so amazing and beautiful is that they came, they were able to sculpt beautiful human forms into an incredibly hard to work with material. Um, it, so it's, it, to me, it's all married together, you know, the art and the form. And, and you really have to know, how to manipulate. Why do you make this out of, if you're a painter, why do you use oil painting over here and watercolors over there? And what's it like to use acrylic paint instead of oil paint? And how, you know, is this color better than that color or, uh, you know, manufactured colors rather than kind of original dyes and colors. And, 
um, there's a lot of technical stuff to know, even to be a fine art painter, to be a really great one. So, uh, yeah, I don't same have same idea of, of, yeah, that's a great analogy. Like, like, like <laughs> painters don't just get to imagine paintings. There's all this technical stuff that they have to learn. Yeah. 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 So to just, yeah, but I do, I can see the, the shred of, of, of thought there is kind of that it would be a bummer if you learned some CSS and you like, but not very much, just learned a little bit on how to like change the color and make some boxes on the page. And then, and then you went back to Photoshop and you're like, well, I'm mostly a designer, but I'm like, well, I guess CSS can only do this. And, and then, so their, their designs like start to suffer because they like don't do anything cool anymore. I mean, like that, that probably doesn't happen, but I can see how people might think that, that it will stifle their choices that they make design wise. But yeah. It probably doesn't actually happen. Well, but I mean, the reality is that, you know, you're just a beginner at CSS, then you need to work with other people. You need to, you know, have a, have a teammate who can write more complicated CSS with you, teach you more about how to do it. Or, you know, maybe you don't design in the browser for a while, but you keep learning it. And meanwhile, you know, meanwhile, you deliver Photoshop files to a front-end developer that can help you turn them into prototypes. Or, um, and, I, you know, I hope, I hope 30 years from now, it, it, academia has caught up <laughs> and there are decent, you know, programs in the schools. And I hope that they teach um, the technical side along with the artistic side right from the beginning because it feels like you're, be- I mean, I think you're a better designer if you know, if you really know the medium and they're different. I mean, nobody knows the whole thing. It's too complicated. So everybody knows it in a very in a kind of different way. Um, so maybe somebody would sort of know it in their kind of way and not in the way that somebody else understands it. But um, yeah. So the question was though, how to get how to start learning. It's not like if you're better at one or the uh, like. He's better at design than he is at code, and so he just when he he does code, but it's not good code. It's not he he cares less about that. So how can he get better at that at that part that he's not good at? I guess. Yeah, I mean, there's uh, Jen Robbins book learning web design. I was just so impressed with it. It just come came out. Um, as a great way to learn HTML and CSS and how to build web pages, websites um, from the very, very beginning, if you know nothing, um, or maybe you know a lot, but you don't know everything and you're not really sure what you know and what you don't know. And so you want kind of something that will cover all the bases that can fill in the holes in your knowledge. Um, her book is really good. And it, cause a lot of the really good books out there are like, Hey, learn CSS three. We're going to assume, you know, CSS two, because that's where we were. You know, that's what the whole industry was at, where we were at three years ago or something. And there are a lot of good books out that like taught you CSS2 or taught you, you know, what HTML4, XHTML1.0. But, you know, in 2012, if you're starting fresh, you don't want to have to go read all the old books and then read all the new books. Um, so her book, Learning Web Design, is a really great book to yeah. kind of. Jennifer Robbins, learningwebdesign.com. We'll put that in the show notes. That's. Jen recommending Jen. I have that book too. It is very good. Also, you know, there's the online things like Code Academy, um, and then Josh Long from Treehouse is in the chat room saying Team Treehouse. So <laughs> there you go. Uh, those are awesome 
resources sure. as well. And of I, course, Brian, you are already making websites. You're designing them and you're coding them. So the more that you do that, the better you're going to get at it. As long as you're kind of self-aware of what the problems are. I mean, if you already know that your code isn't clean, as you put it, or you, or you find problems that you come across, maybe the next website that you build, you can address those problems. So it's just a, an issue of, of, of working as well. Yeah. Yeah, and for people out there who are like, well, I don't know what to work on. I don't. I think everybody, somewhere in the back of your mind, you have a project just for yourself that you could build your own personal website or a website for a friend of yours or a website for a nonprofit around the corner. Or um, There's always some free little pro- project out there that needs to Absolutely. be done. Absolutely. I don't like that excuse. Like, well, I don't have any clients. Or like, maybe you should – there's a – oh, I can't even – it's hard for me to even answer because it seems so crazy to me. Like design one for one of your hobbies. Make a – design an archive for your tweets online or redesign your personal blog or design a, do- a site for your dog or like <laughs> make, a, make a website for the sandwich that you built for lunch. I mean there's a million things you could do. Um, you know, and, and those are like, and, and you're like, oh, those are just joke sites. They're not really. If I was going to hire someone, which I'm not in the position of very often, but I, I you know, I, I've been around the world of hiring enough. If you showed me some website on a step-by-step thing on how to build a website that, or a sandwich that was amazing, you know, that I could clearly see demonstrated your taste and had, you know, great typography and it was responsive and it you know, had all this great stuff. And it, no matter what the content of the website, I can see how good you are you know i can it's, it doesn't have to be some site that you made ten thousand dollars off yeah well, cool. yeah and i think it's much easier to build a real site than a than just just write html for no reason at all absolutely absolutely um i was gonna say maybe we move on to the next question if that works out for you guys yeah all right here we go it's a audio question our favorite kind of question here at the shop talk show here we go Hi, Chris and Dave. This isn't really related to front-end development, just something more general. Mostly I'm happy with my work, and I'm reasonably confident in my abilities as a developer, but semi-regularly I find myself questioning what I know and negatively comparing my work to the work of people I look up to, and generally just being hypercritical. Uh, This includes stupid things like how I sound on this recording. It might last a couple of days, and then... I'm okay again. Do you, or did you ever find the same thing happening to you? And if so, how did you overcome it? Thanks for a great show. Oh, there we go. That's Tom, and he's, uh, I guess, asking kind of the question, like, do you find yourself hypercritical, and then how do you get over that if you do? Jen, do you have any insight there? That's so funny. He, because I was sitting there going, wow, that guy sounds so good. Like... (laughs) What kind of microphone is he using, and <laughs> <laughs> how did you record him, and and wh- where is he? Where does you know exactly is he from? And, th- and then he's like, and I said something about how he felt self conscious about the way he was sounding on the recording. So just very ironic. I I think um, does that ever go away? I think absolutely not. And I I think that's part of the kind of resentment towards this idea of celebrity is that. I think most people believe that if they try hard enough, they work hard enough, at some point perhaps if they're lucky enough, they might switch and switch the world. You know, I don't know. They become a different – they become a superhero. Like they jump into a phone booth and they come out a different person and this other celebrity person like 
never doubts themselves and almost feels great about their work and never has to worry about money. And I mean, you see this with people thinking about actors, famous actors, like, oh, those famous actors, they have it so great. Everything must be perfect for them. They walk down the street, it's all roses. And um, and I think that idea, that idea of celebrity is like a complete and total myth. Um, and I, I don't think that that really changes with experience or with um, success, like that feeling of doubt and that feeling of, oh gosh, everything I do is crap. It may, I think how your ability to deal with it might, might. I, yeah, I think, I think it can change and I think you can change it deliberately, but I think it's changed through things like meditation or through um, self-awareness, through feeling it and then like thinking about it and then feeling it more and thinking about it and like investigating where that comes from and kind of realizing, Oh, that's and it. Sometimes it will poof and, oh, and go away into like a puff of smoke and you, you realize it's just smoke. It's not actually a real thing. Um, so there's a lot of ways I think to, to work with that, with those doubts and to transform them. I, I don't think it comes with um, age or success though. I think it comes with, like turning and looking, practice. yeah, like looking at the dragon right in its face and mm-hmm. and figuring that. Figuring you might that be out. better off for having it, Tom. Honestly, I mean, I, I would be weirded out by someone who was just, my life is perfect. I'm amazing all the time. I would think that's weirder. That's that's more strange than doubting yourself. Those, yeah, those people are hard to deal with. <laughs> um, oh, we get it. So I get it. I like Trent Walton's. I cry in the shower for ten minutes every morning. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Just get it out, Trent. Just get it out. Um, I, yeah, I was going to say the same thing. I think this could also be your biggest asset um, because if you're hypercritical, you know, you you probably have OCD, the good kind, where where you're you're you have an attention to detail, um, but maybe your skill level level isn't matching up. But you know, hopefully that would um, spur you on to. Uh, get better and just kind of learn, you know, little tips and tricks to keep getting better. But uh, it's a long road. I wouldn't be too down on yourself. Don't be too down on yourself for being down on yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I get it yeah. so bad. Some days I'm like, I'm, I'm the worst. I'm literally the worst designer who's ever lived. And I can't, everything I've ever done is total garbage. And what am I doing here? And then I'm like, Whoa, shake it off. Got some work to do here. Yeah. Yeah, there's nothing like a good deadline to make you stop thinking like that. <laughs> At least for me, you know. Doubt, 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 doubt. Oh, wait, it's due tomorrow. Yeah, I better do it. Yeah. <laughs> I better just shut up and get it done. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I think there's an extent to which those kinds of thoughts can be really debilitating and problematic. Um, I think there's an extent to which they are helpful. Like I, I think it's a matter of degree. Um, and it's somebody who just, yeah, I used to just, I used to think absolutely nothing of myself. It, it's not any fun at all. And it's not a good place to be, but I, I, there's a lot out there. I mean, there's a lot out there around. Um, I think especially for me, it's been in the world of yoga and meditation around how to kind of see through that and investigate that and, transform it into something else that's pretty awesome should do a podcast about that yeah maybe <laughs> yeah i mean it's it's hard to answer in a quick answer right like there's just yeah. there's so many it's it can get pretty deep 
Yeah. yeah. Well, that's, I mean, I think getting like an outside perspective, like even like taking a break and, and breaking away from the computers and the, the self criticalness. And that's crucial to, to how we do our jobs. So, yeah, I think it's, that would be a valid, that would be a neat, uh, exploration. The web inside uh, metaphysical. <laughs> Jen, you need another podcast. <laughs> the web inside. <laughs> there we go. Well, cool, Chris. Let's do a sponsor quick. We have Linda.com. Welcome back, Linda, as a sponsor on Chop Talk Show. They have training videos of all sorts and kinds on there. It's probably the biggest, longest lasting one of these online training things around. They have over 77,000 videos on lynda.com. Their membership starts at 25 bucks a month and you get access to all 77,000 of them. They have a higher level where you get access to like files and, and stuff that go along with the course. I have a course on lynda.com about theming WordPress. Uh, themes that still does pretty well for me and still pretty much relevant to this day. I know WordPress 3.5 is out. It doesn't like invalidate this old thing. My my course is all about um, kind of just the the workflow of it, kind of moving from Photoshop into a theme and kind of the thinking behind it and the kind of back and forth code stuff that happens. So still a relevant course there. Uh, but it's, it's, it's some web design and programming stuff, but there's, there's more than that. There's like recent courses on pre-processing and version control and photography, business, audio and video, 3D stuff, all kinds of that stuff. It's available on Linda as well. Uh, works on your phone and iPad for you on the way to go. You know, all the, all this stuff. It's a, it's a nice site. Uh, check it out. Go to lynda.com slash shop talk if you would. Give us the little hint there that people listen to this thing. Uh, and if you use that link, you can get a membership, um, if you've never used it before, where the first seven days is free. So you have a little week free trial there by visiting that URL. So thanks, Linda, for, for, for sponsoring and uh, lots of good stuff there. I was going to say, uh, we saw at CSS DevConf in Hawaii, uh, one of the uh, lynda.com guys, an author, James Williamson, and uh, he kind of talked about Flexbox. He gave this like hour and a half long presentation on Flexbox and what a modern layout would look like. It was pretty darn cool. So That's cool. I missed that one, but I've been playing with it recently just because Flexbox is so awesome. He did a whole like standard blog layout in Flexbox, and uh, mm-hmm. it was cool. But you know, in a non-Flexbox supporting browser, it really fell apart hard. But it was pretty cool to see that you know, just where we could be in a year or two. So yeah, cool. Next more. This brought was up. They were talking about this in the chat room before, so this is a good timing for this. Tom. Can you do the last name, Dave? You're good at the last names. Hood, Hoodman? Hoodman. Tom Hoodman. Put simply, what do you guys think of Mixture.io? Is it one to watch? He says, I'm not affiliated with that. But anyway, I'm just curious from uh, to ask what other developers think of this. So the, the URL again, Mixture.io. Um, let's see, what is their website like there? Oh, it's a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool thing. I, I do have a beta copy of this. It is, it is software. It runs on both Mac and Windows. And if I can describe it to you right quick, it's, uh, um, I promote CodeKit a lot. I think it's a really nice software for pre-processing. Co- Mixture has, is, is similar in that it, you can kind of watch a folder with it, start a site, and it does that pre-processing stuff for you as well. Uh, but it's also a server, 
So it's also a little bit like MAMP on the Mac or whatever. You get you, you get a uh, it'll run a little server for you at the location of that folder that it's watching, and it does this thing where you can through through comments in your code. It sounds like this is an ad, but I'm just explaining it. <laughs> you know? uh, through comments in your code, it um, you, you say like to do. You know, and it like will add, it'll keep a to do list kind of nicely in your project for you, and you can kind of click on the to do item and go to that thing in the code. I think it's kind of nice because it's like it's reading your code anyway. You know, it's watching your code for changes and stuff. It might as well be looking for to dos and and, and compiling. Or I think that's kind of a yeah, good that's feature. cool. It's better than just comments that are like, oh, this is all jacked up. I'll fix it later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you never do. <laughs> So it looks pretty neat. I haven't yet used it on a big project. They, it looks like they have they have a templating language that's a part of it that is like they're like use this templating language, and I think that's a little weird. Like I don't really have a big interest in using that templating language. I don't want to use one at all, probably, or or don't care or whatever. Maybe it is awesome. Maybe I'm just being a curmudgeon or whatever. But and that, and then they have some online thing too. So I think they're going to get into hosting kind of too. It seems like. When I first looked at it, I was like, oh, cool. It's like CodeKit Plus. It does all this CodeKit stuff, and it does a few other things, and I was like pretty stoked about that. And now I'm starting to get a little more confused. Um, I guess I should just talk to the guys or have one of the guys on to explain it more, but it seems like um, it's starting to like bite off even more than that. It's CodeKit Plus, 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 Plus. And like, I'm starting to be confused about the end game. That's all I know. Hey. It I- is worth watching, though, certainly. There's quite a few on the market. Like uh, there's Mixture and then CodeKit. Now they just announced that you can yeah they have a templating language as well. Now, Kit yeah. language and uh, then Hammer for Mac came out and I've I've actually been using that one just kind of playing around with it because um, it fits for the situation I'm doing. Uh, I I think the takeaway here is maybe not like do I need to be learning mixture? Do I need to be on Dreamweaver or whatever? It's just that uh, pre-processing, like HTML pre-processing, this is starting to happen and this is starting to be a a common thing. So whether it's Jekyll or Kirby or whoever or whatever, um, Stamic or whatever, HTML pre-processing is kind of coming about. So... I'm, I'm, it is. I think it's happening, guys, so be careful. <laughs> Jen, are you doing any pre-processing of your HTML? Well, I use uh, SAS and Compass, so I use CodeKit to compile them instead of using the command nice. line because it's much less intensive, resource-intensive on the on my computer processor. Um, and then I like some of the other stuff that gives... And, you know, it's funny because things like CodeKit, I'm, I think I have to just finally admit that my every time I'm like, meh, I don't need that, meh. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then later when, you know, like the fourth or tenth time someone said, oh, my gosh, this is awesome. You need to check this out. I'm like, okay. And then I'm like, oh, wow, you have to use this thing. <laughs> it's yeah. so funny. Like, like, come on, can you do you can, so I don't know. Um, but Mixture, I have not had access to it yet. Uh, Hammer, I've not had time really to use it yet. My my frust- not frustration, but my whatever is is kind of what you were saying, Chris. Like, if there were only one of these programs, I would probably say, "Oh, that's fabulous! I like what it does." Okay, going back to my regular workflow, and now these five things that used to be this hard are now this less, much less hard. Um, but when there's three or four of them and you can't use them all, 
you, you know, they sort of overlap with each other. Um, like I, the big reason I didn't start using Hammer is because in order to use Hammer, I had to stop using CodeKit and start using Hammer instead to run um, SAS and Compass. Yeah. And I just didn't have time. I'm like, I've got to work on this project. I put like an hour or two into looking into Hammer and thinking about switching the workflow. And I'm like, I have to switch the workflow for my whole team if I want to do this. And this is not the day to do this. Like I just – so that's kind of the – Part, you know, and we've seen this a lot, right? There's so many tools. They all have great ideas. They're popping up left and right. Sometimes I, I wait until things shake out and then I just kind of follow the herd and do what everybody else is doing. That's smart. Um, with this, I feel like I, I kind of, there's still a whole world of things that I wish a tool would show up to do and none of these tools are doing it. So I almost feel like, well, there's a lot of attention and a lot of comp- competition to kind of, create developer tools and I wish there was this much effort going to creating design tools right now but yeah uh, I think we need the design tools more than we need the developer tools and I wish these I wish they plug and played with each other better too you know like if they're each going to do a little piece of the process then I wish they'd each just do one piece of the process so that they could all play together instead of each of them doing 12 pieces of the process but different pieces and you know, you can't turn on and off each of the 12. You have to use all 12 or none of them. So, Yeah, that's that's maybe my biggest complaint right now about Hammer is that I I wish it doesn't support Compass right now. And so I have oh. no conveniences, right? Does it have bourbon or none? No, no, no. Just straight sass. So well, then it's old for sass. <laughs> Guys, old. No. It's not even 3.2? Uh, no, it is. It's 3.2. But, oh. it's, but it's nothing like that but you're kind of locked into just using SAS and not compass so that that could be a deal breaker right away right but um for me it's currently not um i don't i i just i wanted to try it i really needed that like templating without doing some php hacky stuff so right like i wish hammer was just the html side so that i could use it for templating and not disturb and maybe it is maybe i'm completely wrong you know maybe i just didn't it didn't the one hour that I looked at it was not, I was missing the point. No, I don't think you can turn it off yet. I would imagine, I mean, I wish I could yield all my pre-processing over to CodeKit or, or you know, in my HTML to one app because, you know, yeah. CodeKit has like JS hinting and validation and all that. Well, and it has, you know, it depends on what you need from pre-processors too. I mean, CodeKit has Haml and Jade and... Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I just I don't want to go learn all this new st- like I want to learn more HTML web standards APIs and stuff. I don't want to go learn uh, you know Another somebody else's templating language, some other third party things that when they die or turn into a horrible company. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, but you know the other thing is that I want to say though is it's kind of exciting to see these small companies pop up with these new tools and these new applications and be put out, putting them out in the world. It's been a long time since we've seen this much innovation in the web design development tool world and yay. So it's not the fault of any one of these companies that the, that the, that the climate, the whatever the marketplace is turning into this kind of funny competition and overlap so that you, it makes it hard for us. The thing we were just describing, it's not, it's not hammer's fault. It's not, you know, mixture's fault that that's happening. So, um, somehow things will evolve. It'll get worked out, but, uh, 
yay for them. I mean, yay for the people who made each of these tools. And in some ways, you know, if you spend 30 bucks and you use it for a month and then you realize you're never going to use it again, well, it's a $30 donation to the future of something awesome getting built eventually. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have no problem like, you know, putting money out there to try these things out. Um, Uh, There's also Yo Man, by the way. I should mention that it took me a while to even understand what it is, but it's like it's like there's no UI for it, but it's basically like CodeKit plus does more. It does what CodeKit does and more. I think in a different kind of way, but it's like a command line only situation. Uh, Uh, We better do another sponsor. We have Environments for Humans again. Just lovely folks do lovely conferences. They do a lot of these online summits, but uh, the thing we have to promote to you this time is an in-person conference down in Orlando, Florida. You can get to the website at 2013.incontrolconference.com. Again, that's in Orlando, Florida, February 17th through 19th. So as these things usually go, there's a day of workshops and then two days of talks full of great speakers and stuff. The hotel is nice. It's one of those ones. I've been to this. This will be my third year going to this. The first year I just attended and then I spoke at it last year. And It's just a fabulous one. It's one of my favorite conferences of the year. Um, and, the, and the hotel and the venue is the same place, which I really like conferences like that. So it's really easy. You know, you just kind of like go and <laughs> lunch is all right there. It's just easier. Kind of like BD Comp, while they're all in the biodome. I kind of like that. I like uh, it because then you see a lot of people from the conference. When you're staying in a hotel, when everybody's yeah. in a different hotel, then you kind of don't run into people as right. much. Less community. So it's going to be a good one. Uh, uh, both me and Dave will be there. It's, it's early bird ticket pricing still right now, so it's a discount just by being early if you if you do it. And if you use the coupon code Shop Talk Show, that's good for another hundred bucks off. So uh, do that, and we'll see you in Florida. I'll definitely be there. Can't wait. Be good. Yeah, you. I actually fly. I'm at Webstock too, and I fly. I leave right after Webstock to come to In Control. Wow. Pretty exciting. I'm not doing very many conferences next year, but those are two that I am doing. All right. Cool. All right. Um, let's let's kind of continue our, our Compass SaaS uh, yeah. talk with this uh, audio question from Dimitri. Here we go. Hey, Chris and Dave. Got a question for you guys about Compass and SaaS. Sounds like uh, Reagan. I've been using it for a little over a year now, but haven't really taken advantage of using partials to break up and organize my style sheets. So I was wondering if you guys have best practices for how you use partials and whether or not it's a good idea to put variables and mix-ins into a partial. Um, also, if you have any experience using Compass to generate image sprites, um, that seems like a really interesting thing to do, and I just haven't uh, had a chance to really look at it a lot. So if you have experience with that, uh, I'd love to hear about it. Thanks. All right, Compass and SAS. So how do you guys tend to break up your partials and organize? I um this this I like this question, this this topic because um Drupal, Drupal people, you know, the Drupal people have their own way of doing everything. <laughs> For better or worse, usually worse. And uh but there was there was one thing I think uh, that about breaking style sheets up into separate pieces that Drupal has had. Um, the Drupal community kind of got there first and has been doing this for now for three or four years. Um, and I think people who don't, who've written themes for Drupal and don't understand Drupal very well, they don't, they, you know, they look at a Drupal site in development and they're like, why are there 47 style sheets? 
this is ridiculous. And what they don't realize is there's like a button in Drupal that will, you push the button and it makes, it puts all the, the CSS into one file. Um, or it used to be one file. Now it's four for some reason. Uh, <laughs> but the, we had a couple of years of that. And so best practices were evolved over time. And for a while, you know, nobody kind of realized, oh, you could break up your CSS. So we still had this, you know, you have one styles.css file with 6,000 lines of code in it. Um, and, and then people started breaking it up. So some people would break it up according to um, some projects or some companies, according to uh, like what technology was behind the thing that they were writing CSS for. So if it was CSS generated by what's called the views module, then they put it in one file. If it was CSS generated by the node module, they put it in another file. If it was CSS having to do with sidebars, they put it in another file. Um, and over time, because I did that a bunch of times, but then it, because to me what ends up mattering is if you have a big team of people and everybody's collaborating and writing CSS you want it to be well organized and you want people to kind of naturally say, oh, I need to adjust. I need to add, we added a new style of sidebar block. I need to write some CSS for that sidebar block. So what you want is for them to go, hmm, let me look at the list of 14 files we have. Oh yeah, it should go in the funka file and foo, foobar.css and just open it up and sort of naturally know where to put it. Um, and organizing it by like, Something nerdy, like, oh, what technology is it that generates this code? Uh, in the end, I was like, this is not the best way to do it. Um, and what I really did instead was organize the files based on the kind of content that the the code is being written for. Um, so I always have a, I always have one – I always kind of like start with my base. So I have one file for typography, one for layouts, and by that I mean like the big – picture layout stuff, never little details about the layout, but just kind of like the big containers or the big placement of big objects. Then I have a file for um, page, page.css, which is sort of like all the stuff for the header and the footer and the all the things that are sort of universal, but not layout and not typography. Um, and then I do a file, then I start breaking things up. So maybe, you know, oh, it's a you know, it's a big complicated website for a nonprofit. So there's a whole bunch of event stuff. So I make a file for events and it doesn't matter whether it's the calendar or the individual page for each event or whether it's a sidebar block about events. If somehow that code is targeting events and only events, then it goes in the event file. Um, meanwhile, maybe there's one for blog posts and there's one for, you know, different content types, different types of content. Um, but I like I like having maybe a dozen files, and I like it so that each file is, you know, at most, I don't know, five hundred, a thousand lines long at most, so that you can kind of quickly scroll through it and uh, get a sense of how the file's organized. It's easy with Firebug to track down CSS and be like, where is that coming from? Oh, that's in this file with this line number. So in that way, you don't need people to be able to read the files to find code that's already been written. But what I feel like you do need is you need a structure so that people can um, do what I described before, which is when they're writing new code and they want to stick it with the other code that's kind of like the code that they're writing, that they can figure out where that is within a few moments without using Firebug. Um, and it really will help keep all the styles better organized. Firebug. Crazy. Old well, or Chrome developer, <laughs> inspector, web, and yeah. If one Little. of you says Dragonfly, I swear to God. <laughs> Opera! <laughs> uh, 
That's good. We would work together well because that's exactly how I do everything. <laughs> All that's your same kind of layout with partials and stuff. That makes a lot of sense to me. No, that's one of the advantages of SAS is just break break it into as many little parts as makes sense to you. It's not a it's not a problem anymore like it was in the day. And I think that's one of those. It's like a perfect classic thing where. You get a new job, you work on a new team, there's a good chance you're going to do it the way the team already does it. Yeah. You are starting out as a student, you've never done it before, well, you're just going to make it up and you'll realize in a year why that idea was terrible. And you're not going to know what the good idea is until the year is over. <laughs> like you just, it's one of those things that evolves with time. And it's one of those things that as any of us, you know, when, you're, when you've been doing this for 10 years, you're like, no. I'm coming into this project and I'm going to tell all of you how we're going to do it. <laughs> we're going to do it my way. And I already know. It. And yeah, so you end up with some senior people with very strong opinions. Um, and I'm usually one of them. Uh, and yeah, if your opinions are different, then you need to sit down and have a lunch and like chow through what it is, which way you're going to do it and make a decision. Um, because you're making a decision for the whole project and for the whole team. And if it's a big project and a big team, then that's a really long term decision. Yeah. So what do you? Th- I, I, that's interesting. Do you do like? Do you? I don't know. Like so, there's when when a new when a new person starts a new job, and there's some old guard that are like, "Do it this way." You should probably listen because they know they've been around. So, do you guys put variables and uh, mix-ins into your partials, or like, do you organize it like that, or do you have one big dump file for all your variables and all your mix-ins? I use a file called bits, and I only put things in bits that don't compile into anything. That's the rule to be in bits, that it has to be a variable or a mix-in, essentially. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not even like, a, or I guess, you know, I guess, you know, invisible placeholders would work in that file now, although I haven't used a lot of that, but I have used it some, and it's pretty sweet. Uh, the new percent sign things. But yeah, I just call it bits, because it's like little bits that I can use other places. It's kind of a dumb name, I guess. But that's what I, I do the same it. thing. I call it something else. I forget. Vars, I think once I called it. Or base or I don't know. But what's weird started. about that is that it doesn't even matter that much because I, I only imported into I only imported into global. And then and because it's imported into global, anything that global imports will have access to it. So And then what global is your is your styles.css? Is that what ends yeah, up being the style? Yeah. yeah, and you know, and that, yeah, that's the one that's for just because it's named global. That's my in the clue. That's on every single page. And then sometimes when you're in a situation where you're on a site where it makes sense to break it up into multiple style sheets, uh, which it does sometimes, uh, that will uh, uh, that can also import bits, but it, but will import like I don't know lesser used design patterns or stuff that's specific to a subsection of the site or whatever. I should yeah. mention yesterday. Uh, SAS globbing came out. Epstein pushed this to, I, I don't know what it's, if it's going to be part of core SAS or not, but it looks pretty interesting. Is You know how your global style sheet glo- or my global.scss ends up being at like having like 10 imports in it, you know, or more. Yeah. Uh, so I have one that has like tw- almost going on 30 imports in it. Just, uh, so SAS globbing will allow you to like, uh, say import, and then you point to a folder and then put like star. So it'll import everything that's in that folder. So you don't have to import files one by one by one by one by one. 
You can just say import this whole file of stuff, all everything that's in there, and it does it in alphabetical order. So you could, you could, you could, if you need, it, if it matters, oh, order it is. It always it. matters. Yeah, it pretty much does always matter. You, but you would just name them one, two, three, four, five. I don't have any problem with that. Oh, interesting. I kind of like listing them because it's sort of. It's sort of, you know, defining, okay, here, this is what's going on. And then if, you know, you want to just sort of disable a style sheet really quick, you can. And then if you want to you know, write a comment about how you're going to make a new style sheet later and you haven't done it yet. Or, um, I'm, I'm used to that, I think, also from Drupal, like having this one file that you open that's the headquarters that lists an, with comment with comments, you know, everything that's going on. And sometimes I'll go in there and define, like, what's supposed to go into each style sheet so that people who come on the team can read that. I, I could see it being useful, the globbing for, like, you do your layout, your page, your type, and then you just say modules slash star, and you have all your weird, you know, sidebar widgets and all those modules that you have built in a bunch of different partials. That might be kind of cool. Uh, just thinking out loud here. So. Yeah, I mean, especially it sounds like maybe, you know, you end up with, if you end up with dozens and dozens of partials because you're getting really granular, then you don't have to worry about keeping track or listing them. You just toss them all in the folder and you're good to go. Could be cool. Very cool. All right. Let's wrap it up. Hey, yeah, we should wrap it up. Uh, Jen, thank you so much for, for taking time out of your day and joining us here on shop talk. We, we appreciate the crossover. I've heard you described as the Terry gross of, of web podcasts and (laughs) you lived up to your name here. I re- we really appreciate you coming on. Uh, how can people follow you, get in touch with you, give you money? How does that work? People can follow me on Twitter, Jen Simmons. Uh, I'm also on app.net, although I, I rarely use it, but I'm Jen Simmons over there. Um, where else? Oh, The Web Ahead. You can follow The Web Ahead on Twitter or even better, just go to uh, iTunes or whatever you want to use and search for The Web Ahead and subscribe. Um, we did a whole show on SAS, in fact, with Scott Kellum and did a whole show with Jen Robbins about her book and about you know, like learning basics on how to learn HTML, CSS. Um, so yeah, I guess that's it. That's cool. And all that a- web behind stuff, that's all in the, the web ahead podcast. So yeah, it's just, it's one podcast. Um, we might break it out into t- two podcasts at some point. Um, I think I want to do a survey at the beginning of next year and see how people are feeling about it, what they think, if it's if it should be two or not. But uh, right now it's all one podcast called The Web Ahead. And uh, you can look if you really want to only listen to one, you know, ahead or behind. They're titled slightly differently. You can kind of tell which is which by looking at the titles. Um, yep. Awesome. And there's, if people want to contact me, there's actually a contact form over on the five by five website that they can use. Perfect. I I need to build my own, rebuild my own website. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the age old quest it's half built. <laughs> well, cool. Well, thank you so much. And uh, thanks everyone for coming out into the chat room. Uh, you guys keep us honest and factual. We really appreciate that. Be sure to uh, follow us on Twitter at Shop Talk Show, uh, and you can buy T-shirts at shoptalkshow.com slash store. Give us oh, your money. I don't forget for to mention that cool at the top. T-shirt. One of these times, I'm going to mention at the top of the show. We'll get it. We'll get there. We'll get there. Anything else, Chris? Uh, shoptalkshow.com. <laughs>